Well, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I'll just go ahead and warn you, it'll probably be about half an hour before I get to it. Um, so just listen for a bit, and uh, we'll, we'll get to Romans 10 eventually, and you can follow along, and uh, any other verses that I use, you can listen, or they, they should be on the screen shortly. Um, I, I want to take a poll um, quickly, though. How many of you, and I think I know the answer is going to be to this, ha- have been presented with this kind of question? Uh, I have good news and I have bad news. Which do you want to hear first? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so everyone's heard that question. Now here's the next part of my poll. Who wants to hear the good news first? Raise your hand. A few of you weirdos. Okay. Who wants to hear the bad news first? Okay, normal people. Thank you. Uh, It's good to hear bad news first, in my opinion, because, I mean, who wants to finish on something bad, right? Um, And usually if there is bad news, the good news sort of makes up for it or makes it sound a little bit better. Sometimes, though... When you hear the bad news first, the bad news seems so bad that you wonder how there could ever possibly be any good news uh, that could uh, make up for it, to compensate for the bad. And when we think about what we've uh, been remembering and celebrating these last few days, we talk about how Jesus did die on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead. You know, living through those events, being the disciples of Jesus and seeing your, your leader, the one you followed for these years, to be crucified. Put to death in the most cruel way possible, uh, known to man. And then to be buried. That seems like some really, really bad news. And during that time between Jesus' death and his resurrection, it probably felt like good news was far from reach. But we know, looking back, that yes, Jesus did die on the cross. But we also know that he rose from the dead. And can I just be clear? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. I say this every year, that when I say I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I mean that on the third day after his crucifixion, he literally, physically, bodily walked out of his tomb. And he is alive even today. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I want to present to you this morning some bad news and some good news. Um, And I will give you the bad news first. It may seem that all is lost and hopeless, but there is good news to come. And the bad news comes in two parts. And the first is simply this. You're a sinner. One day I'm going to write a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I'm going to start with that. Just tell people right up front, you're a sinner, okay? Some of you I've met for the first time today. Uh, You don't know anything about me other than that I've got a nice tie on. My wife picked it out. And it's Easter and I'm up here with a Bible telling you that you're a sinner. Well, you're a sinner. How do I know? Well, because the Bible tells me so. Uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. You see, when it comes to sin, I know that you're a sinner because everyone has been affected by sin. I'll just be honest with you. I know you're a sinner because I'm a sinner. And we're made out of the same flesh and blood. A lot of times when we talk about this verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we don't give it much thought of what kind of standard God actually has for people. You see, God is holy and He is righteous. And his standard, whether we like it or not, is perfection. 
And to meet God's standard would be like if everyone in this room lined up on one side of the Grand Canyon and someone gave the charge, okay, everybody who can jump to the other side can go to heaven. Everybody who can make it to the other side can be right with God. Now, I'll just be honest with you, some of you could make it a lot farther than I could. Some of you might not make it far at all. Some of you might choose not to jump. But the truth is, no matter how athletic you are, how strong you are, how much training you put into it, there's not a single person in this room who could clear the jump. It's an impossible task. And so when I say, I know that you're a sinner and that's bad news and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I'm saying that, yes, you don't measure up to an impossible standard. God's standard is His law. He's given us His commandments. He tells us what He requires. God says, do not lie. And what do we do? We lie. He says, do not steal. And what do we do? We steal. We try to play it down and say, well, you know, it's nothing big, nothing valuable. But really, value is meaningless. It's the act itself. You say, well, I've never killed anybody. I didn't murder. I didn't break that commandment. But what did Jesus come along and say? He said, if you hate someone in your heart, in God's eyes, you're the same as a murderer. Jesus says, don't commit adultery. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you look at that one and say, you know what, I haven't done that one. But Jesus comes along and says something else about your heart. He says, if you look with lust with your eyes, then in God's eyes you've committed adultery in your heart. You see, God's standard is, is much higher than ours. And we might be tempted to think about that, that it's an impossible standard and that nobody could ever make it. And everyone falls short of God's glory. Everyone falls short of God's standard. And we say, well, you know, God knows that. He, he understands. And maybe one day when, when we all stand before God and we're judged, maybe my good will outweigh my bad. God will kind of grade on the curve. Anybody ever appreciate teachers who graded on a curve? Oh, yeah. Do they still do that? I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Yeah, okay. Emily says they do. So I believe Emily. Yeah. I appreciate teachers who grade on a curve. But maybe God does that. You know, He knows that nobody's perfect. He knows that everybody sins. So whenever we're judged, He'll put the, the bad on one side of the scale and the good on the other side of the scale. And maybe the good will outweigh the bad. Maybe I've got a chance that way. The bad news continues because really your good isn't all that good either. You see, Romans chapter 3, again in verse 10, Paul quotes these Old Testament passages, just one right after the other, and he says, It is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. He says they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. And he goes as far as to say there is none who does good, not even one. That's God's standard. Now, we talked about a little bit in Sunday school this morning. We talk about repenting of our sins and turning away those things that are obviously wrong. But the reality is, in, in, in our situation, in our relationship to God, we don't just have to repent of our sins, but we've got to repent of our righteousness. Because Isaiah says that even our righteousness, even our good deeds, things that look good to us, the things we value as, as well, this might get us some points with God. The Bible says that even our good deeds are as Filthy rags. Because we contaminate everything we do with our sinful nature. You see, here's the root of the problem. Here, here's the bottom line. Isaiah said, in Isaiah 53, he said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's really the bottom line of our problem. 
We could say, well, I've done this and I haven't done that. And, and I've gone this far with this sin, but I haven't gone as far as somebody else. Or maybe if you look at my good and my bad, one will outweigh the other. And, and, and I feel like I'm a good person. The bottom line of it all is this. You go your own way. The root of our problem is that we live for ourselves. You see, someone is sitting on the throne of your heart. Someone rules your life. And by default, by our nature, we like to run our own lives. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That is bad news, but the bad news gets worse. And that is that sin brings death. You see, death is the payment that is due for sin. Here in this same book, Romans chapter 6, he says, For the wages of sin is death. Death, disease, all kinds of brokenness entered the world because of sin. There is not a single person sitting in this room who would deny that the world is broken. If you turned on your television or opened the internet or your Facebook app or whatever in the last 10 minutes, I would say in the last week, but today even, you can't look at this world and say that something's not wrong. And we can wonder why. Why is the world the way that it is? Why do things go the way it goes? Well, the Bible tells us, it says that when sin entered the world, death entered the world. The world is broken because of sin. Everything tends now towards death. All disease, all kinds of brokenness, all physical death is a result of sin in the world. And we can blame other people for their sin. We can say, oh, Adam and Eve, I wish they hadn't have messed it up. Well, you know, if they hadn't have, I would have, so you'd be in the same boat anyway. But we've all sinned. We've all contributed to the brokenness in our world. We've all contributed to our own demise. The wages of sin is death, and that's not only physical death, but it's spiritual death. You see, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. He created mankind to walk with God, to have fellowship with our Creator. But when we sinned, that fellowship was broken. Because God is holy, He is just, He is righteous, He cannot fellowship with sin. And here we are living in rebellion against Him, breaking His laws, disobeying His commands, and the two cannot go together. Light can have no fellowship with darkness. So we have physical death, we have spiritual death, but it gets even worse. Is that okay for me to say? It comes down to eternal death. Revelation 21 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now everyone dreads death in this life, right? Nobody wants to die. But if you are still in your sin, if you're still living for yourself, if you're running your own life, death in this world is the least of your worries. Because beyond the physical death of your body and the spiritual death which you've been separated from God in this life, there is an eternal punishment that comes after this life. Well, that seems harsh, doesn't it? 
Well, it's because of the one we've sinned against. You see, if you sin against me, you know, you've sinned against another sinner. I might be mad at you. If you do something illegal, I might call the police. But it's really not that big of a deal in the long run. If you commit a crime against a government official, you're going to get a lot more trouble than if you committed a crime against me, right? If you commit a crime against an infinitely holy and righteous God, which each and every one of us have by our sin, it deserves infinite punishment. A crime, a sin committed against an infinite God deserves infinite punishment. And there is a second death, which is what the Bible calls the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Now, we don't really like the thought of that, so we, things like, we say things like this, but God is love. Surely, a, a loving God would not send anyone to hell forever. Isn't God a God of love? Doesn't the Bible say that God is love? Why, yes, it does. Can I tell you something that God loves very much? Justice. Anybody here love justice? We long to see justice in the world. King Solomon said, Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of justice, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. That angers us when we see a place where there should be justice and instead we see wickedness. We become furious when we see an act of where justice ought to be carried out, but instead people are let off the hook with their crimes. We hate that. It drives us up the wall. We throw the remote at the TV, right? We love justice. We want right to be done in the world. We want to see righteousness prevail. We want to see criminals punished for their crimes. We want to see people held responsible for their actions. And Solomon says, I looked, and I, I looked in the place where justice was supposed to be and wickedness was there. But then he said, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. There is a time, there, there is a time for every purpose and every work. You see, justice does fail sometimes here on earth. There are criminals that, that go free. There are cases that are never solved. There are crimes that are never dealt with. Justice fails in the human system, in every civilization. But I promise you, justice will not fail with God. He will return. He will judge every person who's ever lived on this planet for every crime they've ever committed. Whether it was one against a, gov a government or if it was a sin against their God. Every sin will be uncovered. Every secret thing will be brought to light. And justice will be served because God is good and He is loving and He is just. You see, we love justice when we think of people like Hitler. We say, oh, that guy, he was terrible. He's going to get what's coming to him on Judgment Day. Or we think of terrorists. We think of criminals. We say, yeah, they're going to get what's coming to them when they stand before God. But listen, just as much as they will get what's coming to them when they stand before God, so too each one of us will receive justice when we're judged by God on that day. That should scare you. Because we're all in the same boat. We've all sinned against Him. None of our good is good enough. We've all lived for ourselves and tried to run our own lives and neglected God. And He loves justice and will execute it. 
And when we think of such things, when we think of that bad news, we, we should ask ourselves, could there really be any good news after something like that? Because that's a lot of bad news. You're a sinner and your sin has earned death. But there is good news. There is. God loves you. God loves justice, yes. God also loves you. You see, Jesus died for you. Romans 5 says, For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His love for us in that, not while we were righteous, not while we were good, but while we were still sinners, rebels, criminals, deserving of His wrath and punishment. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of what Jesus suffered. Hopefully you've given it some thought these last few days. How that he was betrayed by one of his own. And even by those who said they would stay with him, they fled and abandoned him. Tried a mock trial, essentially. It was, it was all a fake case. They mocked him. They spit at him. They smacked him around. Insulted him. Beat a crown of thorns into his brow. Stripped him naked. Put a, a robe on him and mocked him as a king. Whipped his back, ripped the flesh from his body, nailed him to a splintered cross, and mounted him for everybody to make fun of as he bled and died. Jesus did that for you. He loves you. And Jesus, in his death, satisfied justice. Romans 3.26 says that he did it to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of, those, of the one who has faith in him. You see, he died on the cross and when he did, yes, he suffered all the, the physical pain, all the, the anguish and the shame that came along with that. But more than that, all the wrath and the judgment and the punishment that was stored up for you because of your sins was poured out on him on the cross. Yes, he suffered the crown of thorns. Yes, he suffered the whip. Yes, he suffered the nails. But more than that, he suffered the wrath of God the Father that you deserve. Every second of hell that you deserve was poured out on Jesus when he died. How is it justice for some innocent third party to be punished for someone else's crimes? One might ask. How can it be that you've got God the Father who's angry at sin, you've got sinners who deserve punishment, and then Jesus, the innocent one, takes the punishment, and that's justice? Well, that's because there's not actually a third party. Jesus is God. <laughs> Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God the Son, and He is the offended party. The one who was offended by our sin, the one who had wrath stored up for us, directed that wrath toward Himself and took the blame for our sins.
The resurrection is proof of that. Romans 1 says that He is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus died on the cross, bore the wrath of God for your sins. He was buried and on the third day He rose from the dead. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who He claimed to be. He said He was the Son of God. He said He was the Messiah. He said He was the Savior of the world. And He died, He was buried, and He rose from the dead just to prove it. Now let me say this. If somebody comes along and they say, let me tell you exactly how I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to come back from the dead. And then they actually pull it off. I'm going to believe everything that person says. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, I'm telling you what's going to happen before it happens so that when it happens, you'll believe me. Check the Gospel of John for that reference. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. The resurrection proves that He is who He claims to be. The resurrection proves that He is the Messiah, the promised King who will return and execute justice on the nations. The resurrection proves that God the Father accepted His payment for sin in His death on the cross. See, a lot of people have come along and claimed to be the Christ, claimed to be a Messiah, claimed to be a Savior. And they've died. Some of them even crucified. But none of them can pay for your sins. And if Jesus had have died and that been the end, how could you ever really know if he was telling the truth? But Jesus, after he made payment for sin, after he was buried, God the Father put his stamp of approval on what Jesus did by raising him from the dead. He is who he says he is. He is the king who is coming again. He made payment for your sin. The good news is that God loves you, and the good news is that you can be saved. You can be. Salvation is a gift of love from God. You all have heard John 3.16 if you don't know it by heart. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a a gift of God's love and, and being a gift, salvation is to be received, not earned. Paul told the Ephesians, he said, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, here's the thing, you couldn't earn it anyway. By nature, salvation is a gift of grace, and grace by definition cannot be earned. Grace means you don't deserve it. It means you can't earn it. But God is kind enough to bestow it anyway. It's a gift to be received. So then the question is, how do you receive it? Oh, that's where Romans 10 comes comes into play. Look at verse 9 right there. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter and he said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. 
you will be saved. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Here's what it consists of. consists of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. That's the message Jesus preached. He said, repent and believe the gospel, right? Believe the message about Jesus. That's faith. You believe that Jesus really did die for your sins. You believe that he really was buried. You believe that on the third day he really did rise from the dead. And that he did it to save you. That's faith. And then repentance comes into play in that line. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You confess that Jesus is your Lord. See, I already told you this. Somebody's running your life. It's probably you. To confess Jesus as your Lord is to say, not me anymore. You take it. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. You have my life. Taking my hands off, it's yours. You see, repentance and faith are not works. It's how we receive the gift. Jesus offers you the gift of forgiveness of your sins, a restored relationship with Him, eternal life with Him in heaven. And to receive that gift, you simply let go of your hold on your own life. You just let go of it. Your sin, you let go of your self-righteousness, you let go of your ambitions, and you lay hold on Jesus as your only hope for salvation. You acknowledge your sinfulness and that you could never make it on your own, and you lay hold of Jesus. You say, Jesus, you're enough for me. It really is that simple. There's bad news and there's good news. Which are you living in? Because you're in one camp or the other. There there isn't any middle ground. There is no in-between. You're either living for yourself, you're running your own life, and you're living in your sin, and it's going to end in death. Or, you've believed the message about Jesus, that He died for your sins, that He rose from the dead, and you've confessed Him as your Lord, and He's the one in charge. And that leads to life. Where are you? Death or life? Are you running your life? Or does Jesus have your life? There is no middle ground. If you say, well, Jesus is kind of a part of my life, then he's not running it. And you're still headed towards death. He has all of you or he has none of you. Where do you stand? Now you've heard the news. You've heard the message. Nobody can walk out of here and say they don't know what the the, the Bible's message about Jesus is. Let me just say it again, just in case. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Now, it's true whether you choose to believe it or not. 
You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that really doesn't matter. That doesn't change the facts. Will you believe the truth and receive the free gift of forgiveness and life that Jesus offers? Now bow your heads just for a moment for prayer. Think about this. You have the choice before you. You go on with your life as it is. You live for yourself. And when you die, you will face justice for your sins against God. And you will be punished. Or you let go of your life. Confess Jesus as your Lord. Believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. And you say, Jesus, you have my life. None of you this morning are here by accident. The people in this church have been praying for weeks that the people that God wanted here on this Sunday morning would be here to hear this message. And that some of you right now are lost and in your sins and you need to be saved. If you believe the message about Jesus, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, and right now want to confess him as your Lord, pray to him. There's no magical formula or special prayer that'll just make it all happen, but prayer is how we communicate to God what's going on on the inside. You can pray this prayer or something like it right now. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Because of my sin, I deserve eternal punishment. I am sorry for my sin. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead on the third day. So I could be forgiven and have new life. Jesus, I receive that gift. I give my life to you. You are my Lord. Now, Father, I pray that the work of your spirit will continue in the hearts of these people. I just want to go ahead and say thank you for the people who believe this message today. The people that you're saving right now and those who will be. This is a work that we cannot do but you can, and so we ask you to. 
And we praise you for our Savior who died and rose, our Lord Jesus. Amen.